Muscular torticollis, or wry neck, if untreated, may result in permanent craniofacial deformities. Traditionally, torticollis has been treated with physical therapy and or surgery. More recently, doctors have started using a more innovative treatment by combining endoscopic surgery and Botox injections to treat torticollis. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Fernando Burstein, Clinical Associate Professor of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at Emory School of Medicine and the Medical Director for the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Welcome, Dr. Burstein. Thank you. Today we are discussing innovative techniques to treat muscular torticollis. Dr. Burstein, what is torticollis? Torticollis is essentially shortening of the sternocleidomastoid muscle in the neck. And why does that occur? Typically, it results from hematoma or bleeding, a traumatic event in the muscle that, as it heals, causes fibrosis. Now, does this happen before the child is born or after birth? Both. If a child has a forceps extraction or nowadays a vacuum extraction, which is traumatic, sometimes it can be a small tear in the muscle. Alternatively, in twins or children that are big for the size of the uterus, you may have a positional torticollis where the head is turned for many, many months and the muscle actually eventually shortens and contracts. And why does it shorten and contract in that position? Just simply because of the position of the head. Sometimes in twin births, it's not uncommon to see one twin that was on the bottom have torticollis. So there's multiple different etiologies. So there's no ischemia per se in this disease? At some point, there may be some ischemia due to position, a hematoma that forms in the muscle and causes the fibrosis to occur. It's an injury of some type. Now, this comes out as a permanent injury? There was an interesting study done where they did ultrasound on all newborns in a big nursery, and almost 9% of them on ultrasound had a little bit of blood or hematoma within the muscle. Obviously, very few of those children went on to get a clinically significant torticollis. So it probably occurs more than we realize, but in most cases, it's not clinically significant. Is this what they call a pseudotumor? The pseudotumor actually refers to the lump in the neck that forms in the hematoma. Typically, that's found a few weeks after birth and eventually goes away, but that doesn't mean that the torticollis goes away. So what does the child look like, if you could describe a child with torticollis? Well, typically, a child with torticollis will come and the head will be angled that is, the ear will be tilted toward the shoulder of the affected muscle. Sometimes as they develop, you begin to see facial changes where the face looks asymmetric, and that's fairly typical, and this can extend all the way from the cranium to the jaw. So the facial asymmetry with the head tilt is a giveaway. And when they use the term plagiocephaly, what exactly does that refer to? Plagiocephaly is from the Greek for crooked. So you can have plagiocephaly, which refers to the shape of the head being asymmetric. In 20% of cases of children with torticollis, they will also have positional plagiocephaly or flattening of the back occipital portion of the head. So torticollis and a crooked head many times coexist. Now, how common is this? I can't give you a real statistic on that, but it has become more recognized over the last few years as practitioners have become more familiar 
with the diagnosis. It's a relatively common disorder. It only comes to attention of the surgeon when the child has failed alternative therapies. So we're only seeing a small percentage of the ones that are affected. Now, does the obstetrician and pediatrician immediately recognize this? Not necessarily. In most cases, it takes a few weeks for the fibrosis to take place, and that's when the torticollis becomes evident. If you ask parents, was it there at birth, most of the time they'll say, no, we didn't notice it for a few weeks. So what happens if you don't do anything with torticollis? Well, there have been some interesting studies. One that I reviewed that was from Taiwan, they did uh, CAT scans on patients that hadn't been treated, and they had a range of patients that they followed from 5 to 25 years of age. And what their conclusion was that the craniofacial deformity is progressive. Meaning that this would just get worse and worse with age? Yes, and it can affect the jaws, the way that the teeth align, the way the eyes align as well. But this doesn't ever spontaneously resolve? When you get to the stage where the facial features have been distorted, the answer is no. Obviously, some children have a very mild torticollis that works itself out without any of these sequelae. And does it occur on one side more than the other? I haven't seen that. It sort of goes in spurts. Sometimes I'll see five or six kids that have it on the left, and the next week it'll be five or six on the right. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Fernando Burstein, clinical associate professor of plastic and reconstructive surgery at Emory School of Medicine and the medical director for the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We are discussing innovative techniques to treat muscular torticollis. Dr. Burstein, what do we do then with a child that is born or develops torticollis? Well, step one is physical therapy. And what exactly do you mean by that? What I mean is stretching the muscle that's affected and strengthening the contralateral side. What happens if your head is always tilted to the left, the left sternocleidomastoid muscle will be short while the right one is weakened and lengthened. So it's very important to start physical therapy up to twice a week initially. And how successful has that been? It's successful in most cases of torticollis. You can get complete resolution. How long do you have to keep up this treatment? Well, my personal recommendation in the children who come and see me, which are usually the most affected ones, is to start physical therapy when the problem is recognized and continue physical therapy for six to nine months, twice a week. And afterwards, the children do not have any recurrence of this problem? If you are successful with the therapy, then you should have essentially no head tilt by the time the child is 9 to 12 months of age, and you will be out of the woods and should not be recurrent. If you have persistent problem after a good long trial of physical therapy and other adjuvant measures, which we'll mention, then it's time to consider surgical release. Well, let's talk about recognition of the problem. Is it promptly recognized by the pediatrician? In our community, it certainly is. And what about other communities? It may not be recognized as promptly, or many times I find that patients that come to me from out of state have been told that it will take care of itself. And only after they're two or three or four years of age do they begin to question that advice. Can you tell, do the children recognize that something's not quite right? It's hard to say, but some of the observations from mothers and fathers are very interesting. For example, children that were learning to walk that were found to be very clumsy and very hesitant to walk two or three days after the sternocleidomastoid muscle is released are suddenly quite agile. 
And why do you think that is? I think it's because the child's horizon is off. And the vestibular system is telling them that their head is in the wrong position to walk. They feel like they're falling over. And what percent of these children get better with just physical therapy? I can't give you an exact number, but in my estimation, at least 80 or 90 percent. So the vast majority, physical therapy is the primary treatment. Absolutely. Physical therapy and surgery should not be seen as adversarial. Rather, they're adjunctive and really complementary. Well, what's your next step if physical therapy doesn't resolve the problem? If physical therapy does not resolve the problem, sometimes we'll prescribe certain types of collars, such as a taut collar, which is a semi-rigid collar that prevents tilting toward the affected side. And what will that do? Well, hopefully, if there's a habitual component, it will help with that. It'll also tend to keep the neck muscles stretched. How long does the child have to wear the collar? Well, if I'm going to do that, then I give them about a three-month trial. And then you observe and see if they've improved? Right. And if they have improved, then that's great. Maybe we're getting somewhere. Occasionally, my physiatrist, a rehab physician, will also inject Botox, a botulinum toxin, into the muscle as a trial. And tell us about that. Our particular physiatrist does it in the clinic with the patient awake, injects a small amount of Botox into the muscle, and then we promptly put the child back into physical therapy and see if just that bit of relaxation can help us overcome the fibrosis. So no matter what treatment you use, Botox or the collar, you continue physical therapy? Absolutely. The Botox results, do you see it straight away or does it take time? It takes a few weeks, but the real key is what happens after the Botox has worn out. Three months later, if you've got recurrent torticollis, then obviously the physical therapy was not able to overcome the fibrosis even once the muscle was relaxed and surgery is a viable alternative. Is Botox in of itself a predictor of whether a child needs surgery if they do not respond well to Botox? If they do not respond well to Botox, then chances are that there's enough fibrosis within the muscle that surgery is probably the way to go. And what has your experience been in using Botox in of itself for treatment? In conjunction with physical therapy, we do get some positive results in the children that are not as affected by the torticollis. If I have a child that has an extremely fibrotic, palpable band in the muscle, they are less likely to respond to Botox and or physical therapy. Do you ever skip Botox and go directly to surgery? Yes. In some cases, when there is such tightness in the muscle that we don't want to wait three to four months for the Botox, and we've gotten a plateau in our physical therapy, we will proceed with surgery. And if you could outline the basic surgical techniques, both past and present, that have been used for torticollis, let's start with the past. In the past, there are really several different techniques that have been advocated. In the orthopedic literature, many times the muscle is released at the level of the clavicle. There's also several discussions about lengthening the muscle by doing a stair-step incision in the muscle. Now, when you talk about release in a stair-step incision, could you describe that in detail? Right. It's just a technique where you can lengthen the muscle tendon by cutting it and then overlapping it, if you will, to try to get increased length in the muscle and release some of the pull on the head. And when we talk about release by itself, is that just cutting the band you're talking about? Correct. And many techniques have been described where the muscle is cut in the mid-neck through a small incision, over the mastoid through the small incision, or at the clavicle through a small incision. Well, how do you keep that cut, that release, from growing back together and having a recurrent scar and shortening of the muscle? Post-operative physical therapy is extremely important. In some centers, they still use braces, casts, 
et cetera, which I don't use, but physical therapy is my mainstay. Finally, does torticollis always involve the sternocleidomastoid, or can it involve other muscles of the neck? Secondarily, other muscles can become shortened by continuous torticollis. And important in the deferential diagnosis as well is to make sure there's not a cervical spinal abnormality, which is sometimes found in syndromic children. I want to thank Dr. Fernando Burstein, who has been our guest. We have been discussing innovative techniques to treat muscular torticollis. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.